Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Deidre. And I'm Megan. And I thought it would be fun today, maybe just fun for us. I don't know if it will be fun for all, um, to kind of follow up what we talked about last week about conflict, partly because we've had some chance to practice this over the last week and partly because I threw the conflict coping style post back on my Instagram account and it's had a lot of traffic and a lot of comments. And I thought maybe we could talk about those since we were looking at them going, are these real? Are these not real? So that's, what do you think? Should yeah. I start there today? Yeah, I think it's good. Let's just kind of recap what happened last week. Cause uh, we were kind of surprised at uh, where the conversation took us. We were like, Oh, interesting. That's not how we would have like mapped that out, you know? Um, and then uh, I think people reacted either really strongly, like, Oh my gosh, yes, I see this. Or I don't understand, you know, say more about that so that I can see if that fits me or not. Yeah. Let's just look at the Instagram comments. I think that's a good place to start. So the Ones, threes, and fives, the Enneagram ones, threes, and fives, we talked about how they are emotionally logical under stress. And you were like, "Mm, sometimes, sometimes you're emotionally logical under stress as a one. And so I kind of threw that out there. Like, is this real for you? If you're a one, you're a three, you're a five. And the very first comment that I saw, which made me laugh so hard was, um, someone named Mel Bell. And she said, I'm definitely more reactive for a one. And I was like, go listen to the podcast because so is Deidre. Maybe you would relate. Um, so I do think that there's a lot of nuance. This is why I love the Enneagram so much because there's so much nuance. You can't just read it and go, this applies to one ninth of the world and everybody is the exact same way because we know that's not a thing. We know that like, we're not just nine different types of people. We're a billion, seven billion different types of people. It's because there's so much nuance. So what she came to the conclusion was it's because of her subtype, which we almost never talk about on this podcast, Mm -hmm. um, that she might be a counter type to a type one. And that's why she reacts more strongly. So there's a theory. (laughs) So there's a theory. (laughs) I think that's a good theory. Um, I also, you know, I, she probably was just responding to the graphic versus what our actual conversation was. But I think we discussed that a little bit, like why it doesn't feel true just on the onset. But as you look at it, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, so maybe that is my first lens, but then depending on how people react to me or what kind of relationship I have with that person depends on my response. Um, somebody else I noticed on your Instagram account commented something about, um, being in their four space with, and so with their like husband, when he counters back as an eight, she just goes all emotional, um, because of that's just their relational rut. You know, we actually talked about that a little bit last week too, those relational ruts that we get in with different dynamics that are at play, but yeah, interesting. Well, I think people should know that you and I took our own advice and we actually talked about conflict with each other in a time where we weren't in conflict right? and process through. And you like, we're like, okay, let's do this. And you're like super emotionally logical. And I guess it wasn't a stressful situation. So we can't really say under stress, but talking about conflict, that's how you approached it. You're like super logical and let's, let's work this out. Except then I just kept talking to try to make it better for both of us. And then at the end, I was like, why do I feel like we just had a fight? Even though we didn't, there was actually not, but it felt like it does feel emotional when you get into it because it's very, um, honest and raw and like all the cards are on the table and there's nothing hidden. And that always scares me. I don't know. I mean, I know every type is scared about being vulnerable for different reasons, but I was just like, Oh, I laid all this out there and now you got to judge my words. So maybe if I keep talking, you won't have time to judge them. And I'll just keep <laughs> word vomiting out and re saying all the things I've already said so that you don't have time to 
actually process this, which wasn't very kind of me, but, you know, looking back on it, I can see how I got there. <laughs> this is clearly the first debrief we're having of that conversation. <laughs> Let's do it on the air in front of everybody. That'd be great. <laughs> Real time. Hey, I was listening to a Brene Brown podcast and she asked someone this question that was kind of hard for them to answer. And they said, I mean, really well-known person, you know, that makes a lot of money to deal with conflict resolutions and everything. And she said, I need to think about this. Can you like edit out the pause? And Brene was like, nope, we don't do that here because we want people to understand like these are uncomfortable conversations and this is happening in real time and this is how we process and let's give space for it. And I was like, oh shoot, because I feel like I've edited out a lot of awkward pauses in our past podcasts. (laughs) Maybe that's not always good, but I think, hey, we're just doing it live in person, real, honest, raw. That's what we're asking of one another here, right? It was just interesting because there wasn't a conflict. We were just saying, oh, hey, we just did this podcast. Why don't we have this conversation? It's been a while. Like we've had these conversations in the past to kind of preface like how we're going to process things. But now it's like we've been in this relationship for what, 10 more plus years. So like we look different now than we did before. Um, I think that's true for everyone, no matter if it's a sibling, like you knew each other as babies, as toddlers, as bratty teenagers, like you change over time. Let's, let's continue to have these conversations. Um, one of the reasons people get divorced is because they're like, you're not the person I married. Well, duh, I hope not. Right. Like, why would you want to stay the same? The problem is when you're growing and you're not addressing things and you're suddenly on two different paths. And so, yeah, we did that. Um, and it was fine. It was just like, I felt super vulnerable and here we are, like there was nothing to actually argue about. And yet it all just felt weird, but But you approached it so logically. And like, I, as a four, I'm supposed to be emotionally reactive under stress. And so I like my emotions were reacting, but I was like trying to tap into that one space. So I wasn't like reacting at you because had I reacted at you or gotten defensive, that would have probably spurred you into your own reaction. So maybe it's that one, four line we share that can either go like really well or really poorly, depending on how we react to each other. Right. And so I noticed someone else commented on your post about the two, eight line. So like as a two, oh, yeah. they're very, you know, optimistic, but, uh, but they'll go when they're in stress, which conflict would make them go to stress, they're going to act more like an eight. And she's like, Oh gosh, I see that. Even though that maybe isn't my two go-to lens, but in stress, that's where I go. I share that line. So for me as a one, I'm going to share that line with four, just like one of your right. you know, commenters said. And, and if it's a close relationship, it's like, <gasps> Oh my gosh. And all this emotion like pops out. Although when I am in stress going to that two line, it's probably more like, let's fix this. Let's make sure we're in right relationship with each other. I don't care about what the conflict is. I just want to make sure we're no longer in conflict. Right. So that that's my two line coming out, which then is complete. Like we talked about, maybe we talked about this on the podcast, but we talked about this for sure in person about how then the conflict becomes more about soothing my feelings and getting out of conflict rather than resolving the issue that was brought into it in the first place. Right. And so just in case anybody hasn't heard last week, I want to, you started last week with defining conflict. It's not always a fight, you know, like it's sometimes it's just a misunderstanding or, um, someone being willing to say, I was trying to communicate like a desire or a longing or just a, a frustration. And it's not anyone's fault. There's no winner or loser here, but but we're both hearing different things. And so it becomes a miscommunication. And so sometimes that's just the the basic root of conflict is not even like, oh, we both want to approach a situation with two different answers. And so therefore we will fight it out to see who wins. Like that's, that's such an extreme example of rare, rarely is conflict about that, you know, like, oh, we're in a meeting and 
two people have two different answers. Like that's not usually what actually causes the conflict. It's the, all the unsaid things that are miscommunicated that we assume someone understands, but they're not seeing it from our perspective. So, yeah. What I appreciated about what you brought into that conversation was you weren't saying this, these things you do drive me nuts. So we need to fix it. You were saying like, this hits a place in me. And I know that my response to you hits a place in you. And can we both be right? And can we both be wrong? And can we not have to fix it right now, but just talk about it and say, this is what it's doing. Like, can we live in the mess of that and not, not fix it yet? Yeah. And that's probably really hard for you to say that because you're a one and you don't like the mess and you don't, you want to fix it all, but you're like, is it okay that we're both not completely fixed in these places yet? And can we just keep it open? And I just appreciated that so much. Yeah. I I think um, we alluded to this in the podcast too, that, you know, the other podcast, not this one that we're currently recording, <laughs> um, <laughs> but just that need to have, like, if it's about like winning the argument, you know, then there's a loser. Like that's not relational. That's not love. That's not um, preferring someone over yourself. And so um, maybe the best way to handle it is just being willing to acknowledge that we're sorting through this and in sorting through this, I'm going to grow in my understanding of myself and of you and vice versa. You're going to grow in your understanding of yourself and of me. And so I don't need you to, to tiptoe around my issues, but I need you to understand them to give me some space to grow in them. You know, just like we would do for one another. Um, We do it with our kids. We do it with our spouses. Um, I think work relationships are a little harder to do that because we kind of feel like we can just get the job done and go home. And we don't have to be vulnerable in that space. But then we end up tiptoeing around a lot of things and and getting upset and gossiping about all the ways that uh, we're misunderstood or mishandled. So um, probably it would benefit us to learn how to do this in bigger spaces, even outside of our own like deep relationships. That's interesting. I remember a curriculum back when we used to teach I want to say it was like a fifth and sixth grade curriculum. It was all about conflict resolution. Do you remember that? Not particularly. Okay. I don't remember who taught it. It was like maybe in the Bible class or something, but they were teaching, somebody was teaching a conflict resolution curriculum. And I would be interested to get my hands on that or like even conflict resolution stuff in the workplace, because are the skills that we're teaching in a classroom or in a work environment translatable to what how to resolve conflict in a deep relationship or are they separate skills? I know that, I mean, the basic, like listen first before talking, I mean, things like that, but. Well, I'm going to give a shout out to someone we've had on our podcast before Katrina. She was our, uh, she came on to talk about, um, trauma and foster and things like that. Well, she did a conversation with a team of us at work recently, and it was about having hard conversations. Yeah. It's called crucial conversations is the book, right? Who's the author of that? Um, what? Why doesn't it say it? There's not an author. <laughs> oh, it's like four authors, Patterson, Granny, McMillan, and Switzler. I have it sitting on my desk. I'm holding it up and I have yet to open it and read it. <laughs> well, it was really good because those crucial conversations were, they had some principles that applied, whether it was um, obviously the stakeholders are different if you're at work or in a marriage or a friendship or a family dynamic, but um, it was some principles that I think you could apply anywhere because it's about how you're approaching the conversation. Kind of like we talked about last week, you can't control how someone else does. But if you're willing to say, I want this to be a bridge, I'm not coming in to win the argument or get my way, you know, and I want to make like, 
I statements. Like, so I'm hearing you say this and the story I'm telling myself is this. And I'm wondering if that's really what's happening, you know, here, um, being willing to show up and ask some of those hard questions to really get to the root of what was being said and what was the heart and intent behind it. And can we build past that, you know, to make a bridge into, um, deeper understanding of one another. Um, yeah, but so I think that what she was saying is, along the lines of what we're saying, and it works anywhere. It's just, you may not be met with the same level of, of depth from someone that's just an acquaintance. Right. If they don't want to go there or they feel exposed and want to shut down. I mean, we can't like force our way into a deep conversation, but it does kind of drop the defenses. If it's, if you're approaching it, like I heard this and I'm not sure those are the words you said. And so the story I've been telling myself is this situation, but I'm, I want to, you know, give the benefit of the doubt to the other person that that's probably not what they meant or how they meant it. I am going to rabbit trail this a little bit because you said the story I've been telling myself. And I don't, I don't know when you told me about that phrase, but I've been using that so much more just even internally, but I know I've said it to you too. I think as a four Anytime my feelings get involved, which is all the time, I, it's it's hard to know if like my feelings are reflecting reflecting the truth or if they are just the feeling that happens. And so I can go, I feel this way, but then I'm admitting like maybe then that's the reality of it. But when I start saying this is the story I'm telling myself, mm-hmm. I can go, is it a true story? Like I don't know. There's something there that I can just go, okay, this is my feelings are telling me this story. Is it a true story? That's been such a really really good phrase for me. So I think even using that in conflict, like you are saying, it, it can help us figure out, is the conflict really what we think it's about? Or is that the story we're telling ourselves? Yeah. Because, um, you know, as a four for you, the first experience, the first emotion is shame generally. Right. And so if you're just like, I feel, I just feel ashamed or I feel this just panic that I want to run away. Cause I was just whatever too much, not enough. Um, that's kind of generic because that applies to a lot of things for you just because it's right. the go-to, right? Like I could say I'm angry, but that's really generic. Like, so why, what is the story that you're telling yourself about that interaction that just happened? Whether it was an email f- uh, from work or a friend that texted something or, you know, something your husband said as he's walking past, like shame is the reaction, but these are all very different dynamics that are happening. So what are you telling yourself about that? Um, so I, yeah, give a shout out to Brené Brown for that because she uses that a lot. And if she doesn't understand what she'll ask the other person is say more because rather than filling in the blanks, which I tend to do a lot for you, anybody that I'm talking to, um, sit back quietly and let them express more of what that, it, that story is, or I don't understand. So give me more words on that or, you know, explain it a different way, say it a different way. Um, I think those are really good tactics. This all takes patience and time and a lot of humility to say, to, to show up um, aware that there's two people involved here and we're probably both wrong and we're probably both right. Like that. I don't know that we always grew up learning conflict resolution like that. Yeah. It's like with our kids when they're fighting over something. All right. Well, ultimately they just want to know who you're going to give it to, you know, where we're trying to like get to something else. And at the end, you're just like, oh my gosh, just nobody gets it. And you just walk away. Right. Cause we're mad. And then, oh, no, yeah. I loved that last night because my girls <laughs> were fighting over the last pizza lunchable. And finally I was like, nobody takes the pizza lunchable. <laughs> we ended up resolving it themselves with um, a hardcore rock, paper, scissors tournament. Well, okay. That's I mean, fair, yeah, whatever. But 
<laughs> that reminds me, I need to go to the store today and get some more pizza, more pizza lunchables, lunchables before tomorrow. <laughs> um, okay. Speaking of what you just said, can we talk about compromise for a minute? Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm hoping that you have some wisdom to share. So you said there's a really good chance when you're in a conflict with someone that both people are right and both people are wrong. So how does compromise fit into that? Isn't that, I mean, it's, it's presented as a win-win situation, but more often than not, I feel like compromise is actually a lose-lose situation. <laughs> so <really> pessimistic. Way <laughs> <laughs> so like is compromise actually a solution or is a better solution sometimes like, so let's both acknowledge that this isn't fixed yet and move on. Like maybe it depends on the situation. I don't know. Talk through that. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it does depend on it. I think it also depends on your emotional intelligence. Like, you you know, like we were saying when you're parenting toddlers, it's not about, do you know how that makes the other kid feel that you just want this? And no, they just want their toy, you know? So it's trying to teach them then how to share. Um, I think the older I get though, and the more mature I get, like there's been seasons in some seasons I had to just give. And in some seasons I had to learn how to say what I wanted for me, that was difficult. Right. And then there were other seasons where I learned how to balance that depending on where I was and who I was with. Um, What I think as a Christian is that more often than not, we lay down our lives, you know, more often than not, we understand that this thing that I think I need, or I want, or the boundary that I've set or whatever, isn't really what protects me. It isn't really what defines my value. It isn't really what my identity is found in. Um, And so we determine like, what is the main thing? Is the main thing the job that's getting done? And we believe that the integrity of the job requires this, then maybe we have to fight for it. But if it's, I want recognition for the part I played in this, maybe I need to lay that down. You know, if the main thing is the relationship over the thing that's being done, then I need to lay this down to prefer the relationship and to honor that. Uh, So I don't know. I don't know that there's one answer, but I think it's always about, like I said earlier, we, we can't control somebody else's response to us, but also boundaries are a big lesson we have to learn too. So when is it I'm holding my boundary because this is something I need to say, and it's important that I'm heard, or I'm laying my life down to prefer someone else because that's the more important thing in this picture or this dynamic. I don't know that that helped. So it was good processing. There's definitely no conclusion at the end of it, but I think that I like where you went with that. It's some, we were actually texting earlier about how we all kind of live, how we're the protagonists of our own story. Like we're our own main character and we yeah. walk through life assuming that everyone else is just there to support our journey. Right. <laughs> but we're all doing that. So clearly that's probably where a lot of conflict comes into play. So yeah, I you, think you just stood in the way of what my hero's journey was trying to accomplish. So now I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm, there's a, you know, whatever. Yeah. So if we look at compromise less as like giving in or not getting our way or anything like that, and look at it more like we're all actually supporting characters in God's story, as opposed to living our own main character story, maybe that becomes something easier a little bit. It it makes more sense than to lay our lives down for other people, because it's not like we're going, okay, I'm relinquishing my main character status for your main character status. It's going, how can I support others along God's journey? And, and so if that's the case, if you're always relinquishing your desires or your will or your way to somebody else's, that that's just a bullying situation and you need to learn boundaries, right? And you need to assert yourself. But I think in general, when we're not in that black and white of a situation, I would rather think that it's important to live a life of surrender than a life of winning. And 
I'm saying that without actually practicing it 24 seven. I'm just saying in theory, <laughs> that feels yeah. like the right way to live. Um, but what does it look like to surrender my will to you, We can say it to God, but you said last week on the podcast, but it's, it's vertical and horizontal. So I can say all day long, I'm surrendering my will to God, but am I surrendering it to anyone else? <laughs> because that's where it's laid out, right? That's where it's lived out. I mean, um, so that gets a little dicey and a little harder to swallow, but yeah, like where do, where, where can I acknowledge that the conflict is about, um, me being misunderstood or not getting what I think I need in a way that fills me versus a thing that I need to stand up because this is about justice or integrity or, you know, something that's really wrong or right. I think a lot of times what we think is wrong or right is really just our own internal sense of being dismissed or misheard or misunderstood. And I'm not sure that those are the things we should be fighting for. Oh, hey, so are we saying that everything always comes down to how we always try to self-protect instead of relinquishing um, that self-protection to the Lord? I mean, I didn't go into this saying that, but that sounds like a great teaching point. (laughs) Sounds like every teaching point we've ever done on any message of Dauntless Grace. (laughs) I think there's a lot of give and take in relationships where you've both committed to to do that together, you know, and I don't think one person should always be giving and one person should always be taking ever. So if you're in a situation like that, you certainly need to get some perspective and set some boundaries and find some uh, healthy dynamics. But um, I think we're talking about something that's beyond that. So, right. Well, should we jump back into the Enneagram conflict coping styles? Cause we kind of went off on a lot of really good rabbit trails, but I want to go back to like some of the Instagram comments and see how other people responded. Yeah. Yes. Let's hear Okay. So um, last week we said that we weren't sure how threes could stay emotionally logical because the threes tend to have a lot of emotion. Um, So I thought it was an interesting comment. Someone said that as a three, they could kind of answer logically because they're just bottling, bottling it up later for when they can process it. And I think that that might be one of those things where a three sees like a real messy emotion or a messy feeling. And so they kind of like, okay, it's there, but I need to deal with what's at hand. We'll deal with that later. And then maybe they never come around to dealing with it or something. Um, I think that's a good example of how we always talk about them being both feeling dominant and feeling repressed. So they're feeling dominant, but the truth is when they approach this thing, they, they don't want to get slowed down by that feeling. So just put the feeling aside and let's talk about whatever is the thing, you know, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I didn't have a lot of fives comment on this, but I had people married to fives comment on this. who were like, <laughs> this is so true for my five husband. So we'll just assume that fives, even if they are not internally, um, non-reactive apparently externally they can stay re- uh emotionally logical and detached in conflict so that makes I a lot think, of sense. i think we both kind of guessed that last week when we discussed yeah. it. um okay so that was one threes and fives uh twos sevens and nines oh there was i thought this was so interesting um somebody said and i feel like a lot of people agreed with it like when we're dealing with someone else's conflict it's really easy to stay emotionally optimistic because the two wants to keep relationships good and the nines want everything to be okay. And the sevens are like, upbeat. Um, I totally quoted how to lose a guy in 10 days just there. Did you hear that? No. <laughs> upbeat. Oh, you have to watch that. Okay. I mean, I, um, I don't remember that one word, but <laughs> the whole scene about it anyway, but they said, but when we're dealing with our own stuff, then we're not as optimistic. In fact, a nine is basically like, 
as soon as they get into their own conflict, how are they optimistic? Everything's crumbling down around them because that's their worst fear. So right. that makes a lot of sense. And a seven, if they ha- are in a conflict, now they have to deal with something hard. Mm-hmm. And a two, if they're in a conflict, now this relationship might be broken. So I can see how that makes sense. If it's someone else's conflict, someone else's stressful situation, that they can stay upbeat. But when they're in their own, it's like like super hard and pessimistic and avoiding all of that and everything. Yeah. Someone uh, made a comment about that, right? Like as a nine. Yeah. Yeah. We are optimistic when it comes to others stress, but when it comes to our own, we are just as prone to be as negative as any other type, which made a lot of sense. Yeah. Although my friend Jen, who's a nine was like 100%. So (laughs) maybe she just doesn't deal with stress. I don't know. (laughs) Well, we had a comment on my Facebook post about it from a nine that was like, what is my, how did she word that? Like, how do you deal with conflict? And she's like, I just don't. <laughs> yeah, that was Shaquita. She was our Enneagram 9 podcast Interview. guest. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, okay, four, sixes, and eights. Now this, I'm like cracking up right now because they are the emotionally reactive under stress. And of all three of these posts, this one had like, oh shoot, sorry, hang on. Um, they had like, it has like 700 views on the post. Everything else has like 200. So the reactive, the reactive people definitely reacted the hardest to this. I think they're mostly fours though. I'm not going to lie. Um, let's see. Oh, and I'm going to, this is, I'm going to ask a question. Okay. So the eights are like, yes, this is absolutely, they're going to react. They're just going to do it and be done. Um, a six who said, I've noticed when I'm feeling frustrated, I can come across as an eight. So I would ask that person, do you find yourself more counterphobic in situations or phobic? Because probably if they react like an eight, they're going to feel that way. Um, Here's my question. So someone was like, okay, I think my son is a four and his emotions get so big, so fast. How do I even approach that in a conflict? And I said, well, you should validate his feelings like these. I know these are real feelings for you. And right. she's like, but at some point, when are we just validating and not moving on? So I want you to answer that because I am a four. <laughs> so I would have a totally probably wrong answer here. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I've been thinking about this because of the other podcasts we listened to where they were talking about that. Like, yeah. um, don't solve the problem for them in the moment, right? The yeah. problem is not, I, I think your commenter said something about the broken tree house or something. The right. problem is not really the tree house. It's the way they're feeling about it. Um, so they don't want you to be like, we'll fix it tomorrow. Like, but they have feelings now about it. Right. So um, that's step one, probably validate. I'm sure that, that makes you so sad and um, come back to like, don't, don't come to a solution right then. But I wondered if it's kind of like everything else in our life where we get stuck in our, in our repressed thing is like pulling up our repressed center. I'm sorry. When we get stuck in a, in whatever, right. Spiraling, if we can pull up our repressed center. So I almost wonder if it wouldn't make sense to let them have their feelings and then send them to do something like for a four that is just getting something done that has nothing to do with what's happening. Would that help? I don't know. For me, when I get stuck in unproductive thinking, it helps to verbally process. Right. And so maybe there's an, the alternative of that with a four. So kind of like redirecting them into something productive, just to pull up that repressed center that has nothing to do with the actual emotional entanglement, but it gets them doing something. And then maybe it balances out there. Like it kind of levels their emotions out to where they can maybe come back to it. 
Maybe. And so it can't, maybe not right in that moment, but you know, like, she's like, how many days are we going to cry about the treehouse? Like at some point we're going to be like, today we're going to get up and we're going to do this laundry together or whatever. We're going to put the dishes in the dishwasher. But maybe if that you pull up that repressed center, then now we can go back and have a conversation about how we need to fix whatever was broken. If it even needs to be, maybe they've moved past that emotion and the thing didn't matter to begin with. Maybe it doesn't need to be fixed, but that was just a thought I have. I don't know how accurate that is. Well, I mean, I can see that as a four. I think that would help a lot. And as a one, I'd probably want to go through all the numbers to see what is that repressed center and how can we actually handle that then? Like for a three who's dominant feeling and repressed feeling, if the emotions are out of control, how do you, how do you make them productive emotions, you know, pulling that up in that moment? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer either, except for parenting a three that was very emotional like that. Um, what I found most often that we both needed was a timeout. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go to my room and you're going to go to your room. Mommy's taking a timeout too, because there was no productive anything happening in that. Now that's a little more aggressive emotion than a four would be processing feelings. So I think that's why that would be different in how, like, I didn't need to sympathize. I needed us to just, I needed her to like, go, you know, bounce off a wall somewhere else for a minute. Um, okay. I don't know if that was always the best way to do it, but uh, feeling the feelings she wasn't going to do productively, at least a four kind of knows how to feel them, you know? Right. And maybe sending her to be alone with her feelings was a different way of being productive with them because now they're not feelings on display. They're just feelings that now she has to just deal with alone. What do I actually feel versus what someone is seeing me feel? Yeah. Yeah. I would also say that probably going to that high side of our stress line would be a good way out of some of those spirals too. So for a four, if we're talking about that broken tree house, um, the stress line being a two, maybe seeing how can we help someone else right now? How can we serve someone else right now? That's, you know, a little simplistic way for, you know, probably a small child, but yeah. um, for any number, I think either pulling up that repressor or going to the high side of our stress line is just a way to pull us out of any rut, any unproductive spiral that we're in anyway. Yeah. Well, for example, that tree house thing, you know, um, Maybe we come back to it once things have calmed down. We've we've talked about the feelings and say, Daddy would love some help with fixing this. You know, like could you take this out to him? Maybe engage them, like you said, in that two thing. How can they help be a, a part of the problem versus telling them how to fix it? They don't want to be told that, right? Right. But if they can be part of the solution by serving someone else, maybe that would be a good way to do it. We're yeah. kind of speculating. We're no experts here. We're definitely not parenting experts. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, but I've parented a few. So I know a lot of things not to do. <laughs> You've parented five different numbers. Well, five different kids, maybe four different numbers. You're not sure. Yeah. Um, so definitely seeing what has worked and what hasn't worked in the past. <laughs> yeah. I have more on the, what hasn't worked list probably as, as do most parents, I'm guessing, but <laughs> Thomas Edison can tell you I'm going to screw that line up. The quote, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> thousand ways not to make a light bulb. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Anything, any other comments? Did we get through all three triads? We got through all three, the emotional, logical, emotionally optimistic, and emotionally reactive. And okay. I would say the consensus for most people was like, I agree with this. And, and if I don't always react this way. Here's why. Like they all kind of right. nuances behind it. So it's kind of the conversation we had last week. Like, yes, we can see how this might be our first lens, but we tend to go in a different direction if this happens in response or whatever. So, so here's the question I'd like to leave our listeners with that would okay. be interesting comments this week. When you 
don't react the way that you want to, are you seeing it ongoingly as a pattern in a certain type of relationship? So we talked a little bit last week about like those more social interactions versus workplace versus like deep relationships. Um, And I would put in deep relationships, family, even if they're not your closest people, they have deep ties and there's a lot of, you know, familial reps there. Um, So I'm just curious if anybody is seeing like a connection to those three things. So, you know, up for discussion, drop a comment below, whatever. (laughs) I, I, that is a really interesting question because I think mine has changed in different arenas. You probably don't want me to answer this because you were probably trying to do that as a really nice wrap up, but um, I can tell how when I was younger, like in a work environment, I was always emotionally reactive under stress. And I think now I'm probably a lot more emotionally logical under stress in a work environment. You're probably not agreeing with that, but I would say more so than I used to be. And I think it's because I've maybe pulled up that more one line in that kind of thing where I don't a conflict happens, say at work or something, I can still react, but it's not bringing the shame that it once did or where I have to be so defensive about it. It's more, a little bit more productive than it was once. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, I think we could all say things like that because I would say there's certain areas in, for me that I've changed and grown in and gotten better in some and worse in others. Maybe, I don't know, worse is not maybe, <laughs> maybe haven't attended to it as much. <laughs> Like you were like, so now I just get angry. All the <laughs> maybe that's growth for you. Oh no, you said that about your husband. You were like, now he he gets angry in a conflict because he's a two and he didn't used to. And you're like, and that's growth for him. So right, right. <laughs> so the reaction itself, like just because you don't react in a big angry manner, doesn't mean you're doing it healthy and correct either. Correct. Yes. All right. This was a good talk. I really like processing all of my random thoughts for the world to hear and see, but hopefully that is helping other people have these hard, great, deep discussions with the people that they love too. Yeah. And I want to know if you're having these conversations because of these episodes. Tell us. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. And you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for information and pricing about individual coaching sessions. And we even offer virtual and in-person staff training opportunities for your organization. You can also follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org. And while you're there, check out our retreat for this November 2021 in Colorado. We have registration live and we would love to see you there.